you're an astronomer, right? You're looking into the celestial sky and, and observing these stars. Like there's so much happening in there. It's fascinating. Hi, this is the Get In My Garden podcast, episode 78. I'm Aaron Moskowitz, and this is the second half of the interview with Nina Fulch of Compost Santo in Nambe, New Mexico, a commercial composter for three years, composting and analyzing soil for several more years. And today, she will tell us about microscope work, making a career out of it, and what she has learned while studying the soil food web. Check Nina and Compost Santo out at compostsanto.com, that's C-O-M-P-O-S-T, S-A-N-T-O dot com, where you can follow the happenings of the compost and farm business owned by Mead and Robin Martin. Follow this podcast on Instagram at GetInMyGarden. Send me an email, Aaron at GetInMyGarden.com, and subscribe wherever you listen from. I guess three questions that came to me. One is, what happens in the winter? I know things are very different Mm. for composting. What, how do you deal with that? But also, what specifically in New Mexico? Is there anything very unique to the soil food web that you might find? And then the third question being, for someone who really doesn't get the soil food web, a quick overview, even though maybe the listeners already know, um, but like, what would you really expect to see? And how do you know, like, oh, this is good stuff? Gotcha. Okay, so let's start with the first question. What do we do in the winter for compost? I love the winter for making compost. It sounds really bizarre to say that, but the reason I really, really prefer the winter is the high, the increase in humidity. It really helps to produce quicker compost and better compost. Battling the heat of the summer in New Mexico is not only brutal for humans, it's brutal for biology. And so maintaining that moisture in those piles um, and maintaining the piles themselves, it, it definitely increases in the summer. And so the winters, even though I have days where uh, like, like today, I can't really turn my piles. And at this point it's mostly for management because um, the temperatures are pretty stable, but I, I don't want to, put the tractor on a, a snow covered area, it completely decimates and, and it's brutal on the ground and uh, it's messy mm. with a compost. And so I'm, I feel set back on those days, but because we're in New Mexico, it doesn't really snow that often. But what I do get is a retention of moisture. So the winters really allow me to relax a little bit about uh, those things that tend to stress me out in the summer, like moisture and and the piles drying out too fast or having to turn more than I really want to because I have to add water. Sounds a lot safer in the winter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, So I actually really enjoy the winter, uh, uh, producing compost in the winter for that reason. Do you still turn them around in the same amount of time? I do when, when in the initial stages uh, where I'm really depending, my turns are dependent on those temperatures. Uh, I do turn based on, I always initially turn based on temperatures. So if it's, if it's been sitting at 130 for three days or 140 for two days or whatever, then I make sure to turn when they need to be turned. But after those temperatures drop, 
and my piles are just curing at these lower temperatures, like, you know, mid nineties or, or, you know, low hundreds, uh, then I'm, I have a lot more flexibility and I really just, uh, I tend to just dig into the pile with my hand and look for signs that are telling me that the pile needs to be turned, uh, for aeration or for moisture. Um, so initially, yes, I turn, uh, by temperature and then I kind of relax a little bit about that and just really just manage as they need. And let's see, what was your second? Um, the second question, let's see. Well, what, one of the questions was when you're looking at it and you're, you're analyzing for the, you know, soil food web components, right. is there anything specific to New Mexico that you see? Uh, are we looking for something that's the same as what they'd be looking for in California? Yeah, you know, things like as that. far as I understand, so, you know, my entire soil food web career, if, if you want to call it that adventure, uh, learning experience has been based on in, in New Mexico. I'm not from New Mexico. I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from Puerto Rico. Uh, oh, and cool. so my exposure to different environments is definitely there. And I notice uh, some differences in the quality of just how things decompose and the quality of the soils and that. But when it comes to biology, I'm really only familiar with what's happening in New Mexico. That said, I have received, uh, when I was running my soil food web lab, which I ran for, I want to say about four years, um, and I, I unfortunately or not, unfortunately, I no longer do it for personal reasons. Uh, but when I, I uh -huh. had a chance, what that allowed me to do is I had an opportunity to really see what compost and soil from other places tend to compare. And quite honestly, I, when it comes to good soil or good compost, I can't really say that there's any difference in biology. Maybe, you know, the differences really just come from the materials that are in that soil or compost. So then you'll have mm -hmm. either higher bacterial concentrations or higher fungal concentrations or a good balance. But as far as the biology itself, it's really always the same. You're looking for nematodes and you, you know, you just want to make sure that you can determine whether they're beneficial or detrimental. You're looking for protozoa, mm -hmm. those flagellates and the amoeba versus the ciliates. You're looking for fungi, the beneficial versus the detrimental. And you're looking for diversity in bacteria. Bacteria is always going to be there. It does not matter how terrible your soil is. Bacteria will 100% be there. But that diversity uh, of that bacteria will really give you a lot of information as to how healthy your soil is and how well it can um, defend itself from, you know, uh, just infections or whatever. So, but the biology itself, you know, that's the beauty of nature. It, it really is pretty much the same, uh, no matter where you're at. And then you come to species, right? If you're really just looking at, well, what kind of nematodes are you seeing? What kind of uh, fungi are you seeing? There's the vast number of species diversity on the planet. It's, it's so grand that, that, yeah, you'll find a little diversity or a little difference, like maybe some nematodes I've never seen in New Mexico, I'll see in a sample from Florida. But that doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they're not here. It just means that I haven't come across them or who knows, right? Again, this, 
Yeah, species. that's the the exciting part to right. me. Right, species diversity is is you know vast when it comes to these small organisms, and 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 that's you know when we're talking about nematodes, I can't even begin to imagine the species diversity uh, uh, of fungi. I mean, we already know uh, as far as mushrooms, the fruit body. Uh, we know of, I think it's 100,000 different species, and that's like, I think, 10% mm-hmm. of the estimated actual number. Some people have said up to 5 million, and they're finding that two mushrooms that look exactly the same, and they may even be, they may be cousins, but one grows on one side of the mountain. It's been, the DNA is different. It's amazing. That's looking at a a fruiting body, a, a something we can see uh, without a microscope. When we're talking about mycelium um, and hyphal strands, it really just becomes increasingly harder to really determine what species you're looking at. There really isn't a consensus mm-hmm. on how to even begin to define that. So all in all, what we look for is always the same. We're looking for the same beneficial organisms or the same detrimental organisms to determine whether, you know, there are problems or we're headed in the right direction. That's awesome. It's a very uh, straightforward scientific. I think so. Yeah. Way to go about it. Yeah. I look forward to, I'm guessing it's going to be 20, 30 years from now, but there might be a time where we can literally through well, I guess more research, just know that there's certain, like there might be a nematode in New Mexico that's so powerful that you could put it in the soil in Florida, and then it might make the soil there more, you know, resistant to frost or something like that. Yeah, you know, it's, again, soil and, and soil biology are one of those areas that are just not researched enough. And so there's mm-hmm. so much that we don't know that we're still trying to understand and really working with these tiny organisms is really hard and, and finding, you know, ways to study them in a controlled environment, which is, you know, a lab setting is even harder. And so in, in out there in nature, if you're studying them out in their environment, you're dealing with a lot of variables, whether you know, alone predators, you know, those, those really change how we're able to study these organisms. And it takes a really long time of dedicated study. And so I'm with you. I I really do look forward to the day that we're like, oh my God, we've done this for 20 years. We can now determine this or that, but we're, we're still in the, in the discovery process for sure. Well, and what have you noticed? So you've been doing this for a few years, at least for how many actually total years have you been doing yeah, this? Yeah, so I have been working with compost um, and the soil food web specifically for, uh, I think I'm going on seven years now. Excellent. Yeah, and uh, I started, uh, I was trained and mentored by Zach Wright. I don't know if you've ever uh, heard or met him. Uh, I haven't met him. The name rings a bell. Okay. Uh, yeah. He studied uh, and worked directly with uh, Dr. Ingham. And I was lucky enough to, we were friends from years prior. I've known Zach for, oh my gosh, I want to say somewhere around 15 years. And uh, we had worked together a long time ago. And years after we had gone our separate ways, we kind of lost track of each other. And then through another mutual friend, we found out that we were both in New Mexico. And at the same time, like we had literally arrived in New Mexico within a week. I had just moved here. 
he had just arrived here to do contract work at the, at the farm that I'm at. So it was, Oh wow. It was through Zach that uh, after we reconnected that he kind of introduced me, I was, he looked so happy. I was so curious about what he was doing. And he started to tell me all about the soil food web and, you know, compost and, and uh, I could see the dreamy glittering eyes and I'm like, oh my God, I want what you're doing. And so that is so cool. It it really, uh, it was serendipitous. And he offered, he was like, well, I can teach you. You know, I don't usually jump for things like that, but I just couldn't help myself. I was like, absolutely. Yes, I'll do it. And so we started this process where um, every single time off that I could, I would come to this farm and I would work with him and he would teach me what he was doing. And eventually that led for me to start taking the classes with Elaine, doing more uh, direct work with the soil food web. And, you know, he was teaching me how to do the compost and he was working with me with the microscope and, and eventually, you know, he went his own way and I stayed behind and the owners of the farm were like, Hey, would you like to stay and make compost? And I mean, why would I say no? Right. I had been working retail for a really long time and I absolutely, I was really just sick of it. It, it, Retail is really hard on people. It's a, it's a hard thing to work in. And so this became like, it was so just changed my life. It changed my outlook. It changed my well-being all around. And, um, and I'm, I feel very lucky that I'm still here and, and my bosses want to keep doing this. Um, I love it. Yeah, it's great. Well, the soil food web. And of course, I think the last few years, mycology is just, they're definitely becoming widely known. What have you specifically in the last seven years, have you noticed, um, anything in the movement that, is wow. encouraging or like from yeah. like seven years ago, not many people probably knew what the soil no, food web was. No, 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 you're right. So when I started, uh, I, I most certainly, I mean, some people knew, uh, you know, it wasn't like totally obscure, but it was definitely not, uh, it hadn't exploded quite as much as it has now. And I remember trying to connect with you know, at this point, I'm really relying on the internet because locally, it's really hard to find people who know anything about the soil food web. And so I went in search of like-minded people on the internet. And I have to say that I found Facebook to be, you know, the Facebook groups to have been kind of the gateway to connecting with other people. And, but even at the beginning, uh, seven years ago, there wasn't anything, even on Facebook, it was really hard to find resources, information, just people sharing their experiences. And it was so frustrating to me that I eventually started a group on Facebook called the Soil Food Web Alliance. And that grew incredibly fast. By the end of the first year after I had uh, started that group, gosh, I think we had like, uh, I remember looking at the stats on the group and I think it was like a 250% increase in membership. Mm. And at this point, my world became so enveloped. I I was not only running, uh, I was working full time here at the composting yard. I had started my own uh, soil food web lab and trying to run that on my spare time as a business. 
And then I would spend a lot of time, you know, talking on these groups online and, and with people and trying to learn my every 24 hour a day life became soil food web for like five years. And at the end of those five years, I realized that I, I was kind of burning out. I was exhausted and I decided to let go and close my, my lab business. Um, and I was sad to do that because I had really put a lot of energy and, and dedication and I had built a customer base, but I realized that it was to the detriment of my uh, health and mental well-being and my family. Mm-hmm. My family was suffering, right? They weren't really, I really didn't have the time to spend with them. And so I let that go and I, I passed on the Facebook group. It's still in Facebook. You can find it. Then isn't it? It's Keisha now, right? I'm so grateful to her. She's, she's absolutely lovely. She was willing to take that on. And I said, thank you so much. And so I've retracted as far as how involved I am in the community, but not because I don't care, not because it's not important to me, but because I have a full-time job making compost. I am in, I'm knee deep in the soil food web. I work with it every day. I just needed to have that the rest of the time be for uh, self-care and my family. And so that, that has really worked out great. It's paid off. I've much better <laughs> health wise yeah. and mentally, but having had that experience and having really dove that deep into the soil food web really, really helped uh, uh, in the learning process and understanding a lot of the, the areas and difficulties and challenges that people have. And that really has helped in, in, in how we produce our compost and, and how we manage our compost. So I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not regretful at all, but I'm also very happy to be where I'm at now. That's awesome. It sounds like you're in a really good place. Yeah. Do you believe that the being a soil food web lab worker or someone who's going out and finding customers, mm-hmm. do you think that to analyze their soil, is that a feasible business for people these days? I think so. Um, it's tricky. Um, when I started doing it, I, I was really, you know, there were a lot bigger companies uh, or labs doing this. And so competing with them is always a challenge. They have a bigger reputation, and but they're also that much more expensive. And so sometimes people just want a little insight into what they're doing. They don't necessarily want to invest in these expensive lab analysis because they're just doing it for themselves. If, if it were a big farm or, or, you know, big production for cannabis or, or food or whatnot, I can mm-hmm. understand going to these big uh, reputable labs. But if you're just looking for a little bit of insight, because you have your own little garden in the backyard, you know, you have an acre that you're working on, or you're producing your own compost and you just want to know how that's going. I think these small labs are really helpful and insightful. It's one of those really great areas, however, because then you don't know unless there's a reputation that this this small lab has built, then you don't really know how reputable they are, right? You don't know how well they work. You don't know what their standards Mm -hmm. are. And so that's where asking questions becomes really important. And that was a big part of how I started running my lab was not just people asking questions about how I worked and what I based my numbers on and, and all that, but 
offering that information and explaining to people how I did those things and and how I came to the conclusions that I came. And I would also always, always provide visual um, support. So photographs of these organisms or lack thereof, Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's really helpful. It sounds like as a niche, that might be a really positive business for some people yeah. like focusing only on cannabis or wineries or something like right. that. Right. And it's, it's also really demanding, right? It takes a lot of time and practice to get really good at, you know, assessing, assessing these uh, samples, uh, soil or compost. And it takes a lot of time to really get fast at it enough so that it's worth the pay. So if it takes you I don't know, say that it takes you five hours to assess one sample. There's a lot of variables. I've known lab workers who do this independently and they charge a very, very small amount, but they also, they gain somewhere else. Um, So like if you have a compost that you can sell them at the same time. Right. Or you do consulting. And so, you know, you have running a business as a consulting agent or whatever, uh, but you're also offering lab services, you can go really low on your lab services and then really push your consulting. But I was just doing the lab. I wasn't really offering consultation. I wasn't going to sites. I wasn't really working directly. I was literally just focused on the biology and the numbers and the assessment. And so still, I I felt like you know, I was charging a fair price. It was definitely cheaper than the bigger labs for obvious reasons. I'm not going to compete with with a big lab with, a, you know, high reputation. It was a great way for me to build my reputation. And it, it, it made it worth my time. So I could say, okay, well, yeah, if, if, I, if this were a regular job and I was getting paid for that job, I'm not spending, you know, it takes me three hours, but I'm charging 150. I can kind of figure out that that, that's worth my time. So yeah, there's a lot of little things that I think folks that are considering doing this on their own, starting their own labs, just keep that in mind that how long is it going to take you to assess those samples and provide feedback and the proper documentation and the, you know, what, what yes. else are you adding on there? Are you able to take videos? You're able to take images of what you're finding so that you can support your assessment and, and, your, and your numbers um, becomes really, really important. But it's definitely not, it's, it's tedious having your eyes, you know, hovering over microscope for uh, whatever amount of time, three hours, two hours, however long it takes you. It's exhausting, right? And if you're doing samples, you're doing five samples, you're doing six samples, it, it can get really, really, it's hard on the body, it's hard on the head, it's hard on the eyes. It's definitely not for everyone. But for the, those who really love it, like I got such a kick out of observing the biology, observing these microscopic organisms do their thing. It was fascinating. I, I It's almost like you're an astronomer, right? You're looking yeah. into the celestial sky and, and observing these stars. Like there's so much happening in there. It's fascinating. That was kind of my little drive was just getting a kick out of observing biology. I love it. Well, I can imagine that while you're caring for your compost piles, it just feels like a form of alchemy, it just does. knowing that all that's happening in there. Yeah, it really does. I feel, like I said, it, there, it 
even though you learn this process, you learn the rules, uh, uh, you know, we follow um, the same uh, composting methods that Elaine teaches. And so you're following these guidelines and you're really like adhering to these very specific ways of doing things. But after doing it for so long, it becomes so intuitive. It becomes so organic. It becomes like, I feel my compost. It it sounds really weird to say, but I do. I feel my way through the composting process. And I, I usually know when something is going wrong or right just just by intuition like i know my materials i know my feedstocks i know what the pile is doing when it's looking a certain way or when it's heating a certain way like if it's too fast or too slow like i don't have to go way out of my way to try to figure out what's happening i can kind of generally usually uh deduce what's happening and quickly address the situation and add or take or take care of whatever needs to happen to get it into the right position or or right stage rather. Well, I'm not shocked. I'm also not I wouldn't be surprised if there were, you know, pheromones or something like that on the different microbes oh that gosh. could affect your sense of like how it's going, you know? Yeah, I never thought of that and who knows, right? That would be so fascinating if that were the case. That's really I did hear something a couple of years ago that people sometimes will bring up about putting the hands in the soil and the effect yeah. of that it has on our brains that's with the true. serotonin. So I wonder what that it would be. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, and, and again, that's, I, I guess, why partially why I do love my job so much. I do feel a special level of connection with what I'm doing. I feel in tune with it. I feel like I don't have to, I'm not struggling. I'm not, you know, it just, it just kind of flows. It just kind of happens naturally. And when I see the end product, I feel a gratifying sense of achievement. And when customers come back and they tell me how their, their soil has changed and what they're seeing. I had a a customer once send me a, a text and saying that, she couldn't have enough of our compost because she was starting to see like fungal fruiting bodies coming out of her ground that she'd never seen before. So that kind of feedback is so exciting to me to know that that is the outcome of all of the effort that we're putting into our our compost. And yeah, that's very encouraging. You've shared so much great information for anyone who's either interested in actually looking in a microscope or just improving their soil. This is a movement that I feel like should come out of our own communities. So I'm really focused on finding what's going on in New Mexico and focusing on that because people elsewhere will be so interested and we have such a wonderful community here. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, and thank you so much, Aaron, for, for reaching out. Uh, And I think that, like you said, what, what you are doing, New Mexico needs more knowledge as far as how to take care of our soils. There's not I, I'm always surprised when I meet people and they don't know really what's missing from their soils. They're struggling with how to grow. They're struggling with how to maintain, but they don't understand what is actually vital and what needs to be done and, and how to repair these soils and how the sun is so brutal and how the lack of water is so brutal here. Um, oh, yeah. Spreading this knowledge is really, really important. I think that what you're doing is absolutely necessary. And uh, I'm grateful to you for uh, being part of it and, and spreading the word and 
and doing all of this. So thank you for reaching out. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you for the compliment too. It's been great talking to you and uh, yeah, good luck with everything. Just to be clear and also to, to uh, acknowledge the composting yard, the business is owned by Mead and Robin Martin. Uh, one of the most absolutely greatest people I have ever met. They're the sweetest bosses I have ever had. And I'm so grateful to them for, for really um, putting this together and offering me a job. I love my job. I just wanted to acknowledge them. Really a pleasure to visit with you and learn from you and connect. Thanks for listening. The next show will be about hemp feed for animals and some of the roadblocks and necessary research before it is made legal in the United States. Follow this podcast on Instagram at getinmygarden. Send me an email, aaron at getinmygarden.com and subscribe wherever you listen from.